When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Realizing, like, as an adult, you know, the media is really trying to tell our stories for us. Like, they're trying to feed to us that we are not worthy, right. that one mishap, one wrongdoing means that we should die. Right. And that, and we deserve that death. And so, you know, it got me thinking, like, what would it take for us to have ownership over a narrative? And I was like, I can't go after NBC and ABC. You know, who am I? I, I don't have those resources to tackle that. But I was like, you know, the stories that I want to hear are just from regular people. Like, I don't want sensationalism. I don't want trauma porn. I don't want stereotypes. I want to be able to hold all the complexities of who we are, our innocence, our joy, our anger, even when we do fuck up. You know, just that grace that we extend. I wanted to hold making space for all of that, 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 for all of that. Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, party people. Welcome back. Man, what your energy, bro? What happened? You, you, you sound like you would beat down a little bit on that I, one. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Hey, man, this day, it, I don't know what it is about today, but nothing seemed to go right. No one seemed to answer questions in the right way. No one performed <laughs> the way they were supposed to, including me. Right, including oh. me, I, I barely made it to this to this interview on time. It was that kind of day. So the energy is is a little crazy, a little off. So that what that means is today we need to turn that shit all the way around, <laughs> like right now. It, it has to transition right now. But well, I know that I know this interview is going to be amazing. The guest we got today is super amazing and, and, and dope, and our our audience should be familiar with her and the property we'll talk about today. But listeners, just to jump to the point real quick. There is an importance to our stories and to us owning the narrative and controlling the narrative of our stories. There, there are too many instances now, and I'm not knocking anybody's hustle, right? It's perfectly fine to get your money where you get your money. I get it. But there's something about us being able to direct our own stories, tell them, own them, navigate them. Like the ability to do that. And that's what today is about, right? Today, our guest is Martina 
Abrahams Ilunga. She's the founder and CEO of You Had Me at Black, the podcast. You probably remember them if you've been listening to us for any length of time because we had a partnership about a year ago called At the House. And it's been since then that I've wanted to have her on. Actually, it's been before then that I wanted to have her and the podcast on the show because I'm a fan, like a real fan. But I want to tell you a little bit more about them. They're a storytelling media and community platform specifically for black millennials looking to connect, to heal, and to liberate. You know them for their podcast, but they also host the Kickback, which I think is amazing. It's a live virtual podcast lounge where people talk, interact, tell stories. But outside of that, they have the Kinship as well, which is a digital creative community. And I'm just really excited to have this conversation today because there's not more I can think of that's more important than our stories, controlling how the world sees us when we're not even around. So with that, Martina, welcome to Wild Black. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for that intro. It's so nice to be here. <laughs> you said my name perfectly. I'm, I'm so happy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't joking, man. Even before we connected a, a year ago, I've been a listener. I heard you say it at the beginning of every episode. I, I'm real with this. I'm a fan for real. So I'm talking to someone who's become a friend, a, a partner, but even more than that, someone that I look up to in this space. And I am appreciative of the work that she and her team do. And I hope you really get that today. So Wild Black, Thank pay you. a lot of attention today. Make sure you go out and support this podcast. Listen to them, right? You'll find a lot of yourself in what they do. You'll see mm -hmm. things that you love, things that you may hate, things that you may need, but you will see a reflection. And that is so important. So with that, we're going to jump into this Wild Black shit. Oh, you know what? I skipped something. Martina, skip? tell them something yeah. else about you. Anything else you want to share? <laughs> I got so excited Any, to get into it. Um, my, so my go-to fun fact is that I was on Family Feud with Steve Harvey. My family was, and me. Were you really? When, when was that? In 2011. Um, you can actually Google and like find a clip of our episode on YouTube if you Google Abraham's family, Family Feud. Huh? But yeah, I was fresh out of college. And my fa I have a bunch of family in Atlanta. My parents used to live right out. They used to live in Jonesboro. I have family in uh, like Rex and Stockbridge. And my cousin, I wasn't even on her original starting team, but she was like, Family Feud is coming to Atlanta. They're doing auditions. I'm assembling my team. And I was trying to get on the team. And then she was like, no. And she had another cousin, but he got sick. And so I was able to, I was the backup. I got to go. And we did the auditions in Atlanta. And then they called us in. And we were we did two episodes. We lost the first game. We won the first game, lost the second game. So you were the ah. Family Feud understudy. I was, but then I actually was on the show. Like, I was the one who, you know, I, I was able to... You held it down for the team. I held it down for the team. And I, every answer I had was on the leaderboard, both both games. See, Cuz should have never doubted you in the first place. That's what I'm saying. That's it. Come on, come on, family. We got, we got to do our family better. We got to do family better. <laughs> well, we'll jump into this wild black shit. You know what it is. All right, brother, I was about to jump in and steal it again. I fuck up all the time. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> it's all good, brother. It's all good. And before we get into our wild black shit, allow me to bring you a word from our sponsor, Surfshark. Let's talk about internet security. When you're online, you want to be as safe as possible viewing social media, watching movies, playing games, paying bills, etc. But did you know a lot of the web traffic and your physical locations are being tracked and logged as you use your laptop and your cell phones? Yep, everywhere you go and everything you do. 
So we want to help you better protect yourself. So we've partnered with Surfshark, a highly secure virtual private network that protects your identity, location, and online data. It can be used on almost every device you connect to the internet. And since we love you all so much, you get an 83% discount plus three extra months all for free. Visit the link surfshark.deals slash wildblack. Again, that's surfshark.deals slash wildblack. Now back to our wildblack shit. Three questions, two of them super fun. One is our signature question that we ask every single guest. And everybody generally loves that last question. But mm-hmm. the first two, just to kind of get you warmed up. So we're going to jump in. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm ready. All right, Martina, your podcast, You Had Me at Black, mm-hmm. is all about stories mm-hmm. and narratives, and particularly our stories and narratives. Mm. So this question is, is really kind of rooted in that. And maybe what you can do is kind of listen to it, the question, and give mm-hmm. us some thoughts behind this. So, who is the best modern storyteller in film from this below list of folks? Okay. So, you got Will Packer, Ryan Coogler, Issa Rae, Jordan Peele, and A. What's her name? Ava DuVernay. DuVernay. Come on, man, you got to get Ava right. DuVernay. That's, a, that's some Come French on. shit. You gotta get Ava right. <laughs> I never, I never pronounced the last name Duvernay. Come on, thirteenth. Come on, that's, Ava. That's, that's you mm-hmm. know. oh, so, that is a uh, oof. It's okay. a question. I'm glad we're asking you and not me. That's a hell of a I know. Question. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just gonna say who my favorite, my favorites are uh-huh. in this bunch, and I'm gonna go with. Issa and Jordan, the tie for me. I knew um, she was going to say Issa. <laughs> I knew. I know. What's, what's the why? What's the why? So the funny thing is, Issa is actually my the background on my phone. So when I feel like I'm slacking <laughs> off or fucking around, I turn right. on my phone and Issa is like glaring at me. Like, get, get your shit together. together. Come on now. Exactly. Because I read she wakes up at four in the morning. She goes on a long walk. She gets her shit together. She does a little workout. And then she starts her day. I'm like, wow. So I, what I love about Issa... Um, I mean, Issa, I feel like when I'm watching Issa's work, I feel like I'm watching my life or my friend's lives, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't feel like entertainment. It just feels so relatable. And yeah. so, you know, and because it's relatable, it feels validating. And it's the first time that I feel like I've seen Black stories told for my generation. Like, you know, I grew up watching, like, Fresh Prince and all these sitcoms, but I was a kid, right? So those are, it was like watching adults. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But as I became an adult, Issa's work, I feel like, reflects a lot of my reality and the people I, I in the circles that I'm in. Yeah. And so I just appreciate that. And I appreciate definitely how she works, right? She's yeah. a builder. She's someone who works with everyone who's around her. She's constantly bringing people up with her. She's opening doors. She's reaching back. Um, I feel like she's really intentional about that. And I think, you know, sometimes when you peel back the curtain of the entertainment industry, you don't really, you might like the sausage, but once you see how it's made, you know, it it starts to taint it. And from everything I know about Issa, I, and the way she works, I'm like, 
is texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days guaranteed with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Someone I aspire to in terms of her integrity and just the way she moves yeah. throughout the industry. 100%. And then, yeah, and I just think that Jordan, I know less about how he works, but like his work is is so phenomenal. I'm, I'm not even into horror. Like I hate <laughs> scary movies. <laughs> I'm the person watching it like behind my hands and like I'm asking people, what just happened? Because I can't watch. But I think the way that he's turned our ex- lived experiences and has been able to transform them into film through horror um, is very, I think it's so innovative and so creative. So yeah. I appreciate what, the work that he does in that way. Funny you say that. For me, when I think about Jordan, what comes to mind is the fact that that we classify his work as horror and, and maybe it is classified as horror. But to your point, mm-hmm. when I watch it, I can't necessarily call it horror because I feel like I'm then calling aspects of my life horror. Mm-hmm. Right? Horrific. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that yeah. could be yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. 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 he does such a great job of taking those elements from the world we operate in daily and putting them in TV, packaging them up in, in a different way and then letting mm-hmm. us to consume it, right? And, and, and teach others what's going on. So for, mm-hmm. for me on this list, I love everybody on this list and it's so hard yes. to pull one person out. But if you had to, if I had to, I would pull five people out. (laughs) (laughs) All jokes aside, like each one has something specific that I love, right? Absolutely. Issa Rae, the thing that I love about her, outside of just her ability to play the role, create the role and write the role, is watching her grow, right? I remember when Mm -hmm. Awkward Black Girl... Was yes. a YouTube series like 2010, yes. 11, something like that. I remember yes. watching her when I don't even know what kind of camera she had. They were filming in her car as they drove down the street. And I've watched her go from that to from every there. step to where she is now. And to me, that says, you can do this, right? And, and that's a yes, powerful message to me. And, and then someone like like Will Packer, it's it's really similar, right? Because I remember seeing Chocolate City. That was like the first production that that he either sold or released. And this was like 1995 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was bootleg and it was done all on the campus of FAMU. I went to Southern at the time and I could relate, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, but special to me, I'm not going to go through everyone, but special to me is Ryan Coogler because of the stories he's told. Every story I've watched by him, I've learned something, mm-hmm. right? You, you can go back to um, Fruitvale Station, Right. And, and yeah. that's still one of my favorite movies, not because I enjoy seeing the pain, but the way he told that story that people didn't know and needed to know mm-hmm. was so in line with the culture. Right. And, and now you yeah. look up over a decade later 
And we're still seeing that same story played out. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. bro, what about you? I like Issa. Uh, so Issa got the, the nod from everybody. Shit, yeah. That awkward shit is, is, is super relatable for it's everybody, life. I think. I think everybody mm-hmm. has a level of awkwardness in them. Mm-hmm. And as black people, we see that as, oh, that's that's just kind of me. That ain't really awkward. It's yeah. kind of just kind of how I move. Mm-hmm. And I think it she she portrays it in everything that she does in yeah. a way mm-hmm. that is relatable to damn near everybody that's black. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you kind of love it because of it. So it's to, cool to be you. Yeah. And not on, yeah, it's cool and it's acceptable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a validation that you should continue to yeah. express more of who you really are. Yeah. Because I the agree. awkwardness that is displayed is not really awkward. It's actually Cool. It's actually cool. But even like calling it awkward, I think is, is freeing in a way yep. because, you know, black is so cool. Yeah. And I feel like anything that is, is black is cool. But I think sometimes there's that pressure to like always be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and right. for like, I always don't know, innovate, you know, always trendset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes like I just want we to aren't exist. always comfortable. <laughs> sometimes we're not always like walking in smooth and confident. And I feel like we don't really see as much of those kind of storylines, especially for black women. Like, yeah. if you think back, you know, there have been a lot of awkward black men, male characters in yeah. entertainment over history, but less so much the women. Yeah, you're right. And you're so, right. I, I, it definitely was relatable and kind of freeing to me, too, because she's awkward, but she's cool, but there's, like, space for both, and and it was nice to be seen in that way. Yeah, yeah. authentically nice. awkward. I love yeah. it. It's unique. It. Yeah. It's, it's the uniqueness yeah. of, of, of a person. All right. Second question. Okay. As a follow-up to that one about powerful black stories, what's the most powerful black story ever told? It could be oh film, gosh, music, literature. That's not even fair. Okay. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to Wild Black. What's the most powerful black story ever told? So Ooh. this, I mean, this is also recently, like I... I have another podcast called Natal, and it's a podcast docuseries about having a baby while black. And we literally, right before this call, just got got off an interview. Um, Our second season is coming up, and we're focused exclusively on birthing in rural places, right? Like, what is it like to have a black baby in, be a black person having a black baby in a rural place? And we were just talking to this journalist who's from deep East Texas, Lufkin, Texas. And this woman... And she and she now works in. Um, she's a movement journalist. Works in t- Austin. Her name is Delia Jones. Just want to put her out there, absolutely, because her work is amazing. Amazing, but she is a historian, and she was just telling, talking about how you know her family is seven generations in Lufkin, Texas, talking about the stories that her grandmother and her big ma told her that was passed on from her big ma's grandmother and great grandmother and stories about how her grandmother's grandmother told her about, you know, coming to this country and in chains and just like she just knew so much about where she's from and she knew so much about her people and the the beauty and the resourcefulness and the innovation of her people along with the current day challenges and, and the disenfranchisement and I don't know. So it, it was just I'm someone who loves history. I, I'm always looking back um, and I'm always reading history. I love archives and archival work. And so just hearing her tell the story of her family, I feel like that is the black, the, the black story, right? That's the black, greatest black story ever told is who our people are, where our people come mm. from, the way that we've every single day make something out of nothing and continue to grow and build and nurture that and 
we've become this very dynamic and diverse community of people that is global off of like all this oppression and trauma. And um, don't want to, you know, and, and I think that's the greatest Black story ever told. And, and it just really inspired me to think more about my family and our history and like going back and talking to my grandmother and like the elders in my family. And it was like a good reminder that sometimes when you're looking for things, it's actually right home where you are. Um, and I, I think a lot of things I'm thinking through right now, I'm like, I just need to talk to my people. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah. Bro, what do you think? I'm not, I'm not even going to try to touch that question after that answer. I'm just going <laughs> to... What is, man, what's wrong with you? You sit right here and let you ask the next question. <laughs> what about you? I mean, what am I saying right. now? The fire beats. Like, <laughs> I can't answer that. Can't say look unless you sing with it. That's, that's the only way it can kind of work. It's Friday for me. Like I can't. <laughs> after that, <laughs> Friday could work too. He, he made Friday it up. Too, yeah. Yeah. Not after everything she just said. I'm, I'm going to need about a week to go get real deep. I'm going to come back oh, I, with some <laughs> literature, some resources, some I cited wasn't articles. I to make it deep. It was just top of mind because I was inspired. <laughs> That's what, when, I, when I saw that question. For me, it was the fifth page from the book of Job that was secretly written oh by gosh. the brother. <laughs> I can't. Brother she killed that. <laughs> so check it out. It's funny you say that because I immediately thought about the Bible. Mm. Like everybody in the Bible was African-American. <laughs> African-American. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Everybody in the Bible was black. black. Mm. And mm-hmm. so greatest story ever told. Shit. It would be, I would be hard-pressed not to 100. ensure that, you know, black people got the recognition for the, the, the faith. Talking about the history of a people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But don't nobody want to hear that, though. No, no, they don't want to hear that. that that's, that'd be a little too much. Too much truth. Yeah. They scare mm. them. All right. What do you love most about life while black? What I love most about life while black? I love so much. So I'm married to someone who grew up in South Africa, but his mom is Ghanaian, his dad's Congolese. I'm half African-American, half Haitian. And when I just think about the diaspora and like the people that I've met that are part of my family blood or married into, and just the connections and similarities between cultures, I just love, I love that. Like I love going to visit my husband's mom, my mother-in-law, and she's cooking plantains and it's a little different than the way like my grandmother cooks plantains, but it's still plantains, you know, mm-hmm. or like yams that my grandmother, my American grandmother cooks that, you know, my husband's family is cooking in on the continent. And it's just like the m- music and like stomping. So random, but we were watching like Beyonce's homecoming. Right. And she has the at State Farm. We're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Step, the whole like HBCU experience and the probate and the stepping. And so I'm watching this with my husband. I'm like, oh, you didn't, you don't know anything about this culture. So I'm trying to like break down for him. And he was like, oh no, we have stepping. And he pulls up YouTube 
And the black mine workers in South Africa, they have they wear these rubber boots and they call them gum boots. And they step like that was this thing that they would just do, like to occupy time during breaks and like a way of expression and like camaraderie. They have their own step routines. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Your husband's like, baby so girl, I let me like, educate you on me and my history. <laughs> and that's right. And he was like, you don't know what you're talking. He's like, yes, I mean, he didn't know it in the American context, but it was like really fascinating to even learn that. Yeah. And so I'm someone who's very interested in just like how our people have moved or been moved um, and the things that we drop off along the way and how, diff- you know, once we land, how we take that and like build on the culture and the music and the food and the expression and the dance movements and so I'm always looking for those, like the links yeah. when I meet, when I travel, when I meet people from different places. And so I just love those links. I love how things can seem so different and separate, but like there's a, the littlest thing, whether it's like one ingredient, one spice, a, a way of stepping that yeah. you can see like links us across the diaspora. I think that's one of my favorite things about being black. There is a connection <laughs> that, that you talk about. And, and, and what I've come to realize actually from asking this question in a lot of conversations is, unfortunately, there are a lot of specifically African-Americans who don't really recognize the link and the mm-hmm. connection that, yeah. that black has, not just here, but, but globally, right? Like mm-hmm. there are black people everywhere. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are we, wait, are we in, are we in Sweden? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I think I, yeah, I would be yes. no, no, we're everywhere. Yeah, we I, really I think, like I, I bet I could. I would be surprised if there's a country on this earth that you did not find an Afro person. Do we wear them little curly I, boots and drink cho- hot chocolate in Sweden too? <laughs> <laughs> just checking in, just checking. But in. we do know some swag though. <laughs> yeah. you know? I ain't seen no black Chinese people though. I think, oh, I have. Yes, they yeah, exist. Yeah, oh my god, I've see, seen a lot of that, brother. I've seen a lot of that, brother. I just, I no, just want, there are. I just, want, I just want to trigger y'all. You joking. know who the first one was, don't you? <laughs> who the first black Chinese man was show enough. I knew from, you was gonna... <laughs> from the last dragon. <laughs> Him and Bruce Leroy. He was the first. Oh my god, <laughs> straight from China. No, there is a um, there is a uh, woman who like won you know a beauty pageant in China, but she, yeah. you know she was half black, half Chinese, and so she won like Miss China. I don't know some pageant there. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. I, you know, oh, yeah, we I everywhere. knew we were everywhere, but I didn't realize like that. <laughs> we are everywhere. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we'll move into the dope quote. And the dope quote for our listeners, you know what this is. It is, <laughs> it's a quote from history, religion, science, music, psychology, arts, entertainment. But it's from the mouth of someone black most of the time, right? But it always has impact on folks who are black and on the topic or theme we're talking today. And of course, today is no different. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I'll read this dope quote, and then I want to get your perspective on it. So here it is. There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. By Miss Maya Angelou. Yeah, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. And because the work that you do with You Had Me at Black is story based, mm-hmm. narrative based, I, I wanted to mm-hmm. serve that question up to you and ask you what are your thoughts about that? I think, I mean, I think it's that's fact, right? Like, I think that quote is fact. I think the, my, some of my favorite. One of my favorite things about the work that we do is 
we work very closely with the people who tell stories on our show. Yeah. Because it's like a, it's like a, I call it coaching, I guess, you know, in advance, but it's really intimate, right? It's like people have called it like therapy. People have written me after or texted me after and been like, wow, like that experience healed me. We literally just got an email from somebody a couple of weeks ago who was like, thank you for being part of my healing journey and my mm. growth journey and like gave me all these updates about her life and her new family and stuff. And I feel like our stories are meant to be shared, right? We're communal people. We're a people that we, that's how we connect through oral tradition. That's how our history gets passed down. Yeah. But also like that, you know, that's more of some of the positive historical side, but just whatever we've been through, whether it's, you know, something deeper, maybe some trauma, like we store all that, but it needs to come out somewhere. Yeah. Right. And so when you keep things bottled up, when you stay silent and when you don't have a space or the safety or the confidence to share your story, share what you've been through, regardless of what that might have been, it all starts to build and then you like combust, right? And then you explode. And so that I think the agony is sometimes we feel the agony and sometimes we we feel the agony in different ways, right? We feel it through anxiety, depression, through health issues and health concerns and all these different um, things, but yeah. it, it has to get out. We are an expressive, humans are expressive. We are an expressive people. And so whether it's ver- sharing your stories verbally, whether it's through dance and movement, whether it's through, you know, painting, art, photography, whatever have you, we're meant to create. Like, yeah. you know, we're, that that's who we're made to as humans, but especially I think Black people, we're made to create. And I think creativity is all storytelling. So that's my long-winded answer. No, no, you're, you're good. <laughs> One of the things that you said was um, the agony coming out in different ways. And mm-hmm. it was just inside of, of those few words that it, it brought me to a, a different place, right? And, and I don't, mm-hmm. I try my, my best not to think about these before the episode, but that really triggered something for me. And mm. it's, it's personal. Mm. When, when I read the lines, there's no, there is no agony greater what I recognize once I think about self and, and my relationship to the stories in, in my family, and my world, mm-hmm. is that the agony is bigger than one person, right? Because yes. for, for me today, literally, as I sit here today, I've been on this journey of discovery, trying to understand more and more about my history, my yes. heritage, my, my lineage. Yes. And for me, all of my grandparents are gone and my father is gone. And what I recognize that went with them was all of these yes. stories and yes. all of this connection. And I also recognize yeah. that that creates an agony inside of me because yeah. there's no place for me to go to find the details to go dig against, right? Yes. And then your story is something that, you know, your kids, their kids, and it keeps going on. Like your story is a seedling for all of their origin. Yep. And so I, I love, I never thought about it in that way, but I love that. Yeah, but that that makes the work that you all do even more important because, right, the Mm -hmm. story doesn't have to be, let me tell you about your great-great-grandfather. The story Mm -hmm. can be, let me tell you about this hell that I endured last weekend. Let me me tell you Mm -hmm. about this amazingly awesome experience that I had two months ago, right? It's it's, it's the practice Mm -hmm. of sharing our stories in general that I think will allow us to be more communicative as a community of Absolutely. people overall, right? And, and, and then yeah. our story, I don't, I'm going to mess this line up, but right, it, mm-hmm. the line about hunters and lions, right? The, the, if the mm-hmm. lions, the, 
is the lion story is told by, I don't, don't make me lie. It's something about the lions and the hunters who killed them. And, but the, the point of it is, right? It's always like the victor that yep. has exactly. perspective. So if like, no lions the lion live, story, the hunters yeah. tell whatever story they want to tell, right? And that's the exactly. story. Exactly. Yeah. And right? that's the story. So that's we need story. to practice telling our stories and, and telling them confidently and telling them loudly and telling them often and telling them to everyone who will listen and have the people who won't because they're our stories and they matter. Which, yes. which brings me all the way back to mm-hmm. you and, and, and <laughs> your work. And you yeah. had me in black. And, and specifically the work you all are doing with, with the kickbacks. And, and when I see the two kind of combine, right? Mm-hmm, so so mm-hmm. Let's, let's start there. Yeah. Let's start by telling people what You Had Me at Black is, what the kickbacks yeah. are. Let, let's break that down a little bit. Yeah. So You Had Me at Black, we started as a podcast, as a, as a storytelling podcast where we would just bring on everyday people to share their true life stories in their own words. And what the podcast has really grown into is this like archive of Black millennial life. And we've had people who fall outside the millennial, you know, ages, but... For the most part, that's what it is. And it's just like all these different stories about our growing pains, about our triumphs, about our losses, about our turning points. And as we grow and evolve as a people and a generation, and and, uh, I think millennials are like a very unique generation, you have me in Black Rose and reflects that. The conversations we're having on the podcast that when we started five years ago look very different than the ones we're having now today, right? right. In 2021. And I, I'm loving the way that the podcast is growing and shifting and the stories that are being told as the things that happen outside and in our orbit and in our world and in the world um, also change and evolve. But as you mentioned, um, you know, as to really as a way to start marketing the podcast, we started doing live storytelling events and we were doing them in person. We went on a five city tour um, a couple years ago At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. COVID really had to bring all that to a halt and we had to figure out how do we do this virtually. And so now what the the kickback is, um, in, in person it was always like a live story hour. We called it a kickback because it's like stories and then we literally kick back after. There's always a DJ, there's a bar, you can hang and chill. And now it's become this live, like virtual podcast lounge where it's audio only. So when you think back to like the old radio shows in the day where everybody's tuning into the same thing at the same time and their stories and music, it's the same thing. So we have stories, we have DJ sets. Um, there's always, of course, the chat component. But honestly, the new version of the kickback, I think, is my like the most favorite thing I've ever worked on. Like at the end of each of them, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was one of the best things I've ever done in my life. <laughs> Just because the experience is so electric and I love how we're able to bring people together virtually and like still feel those vibes. That's hard to do yeah. through the screen, you know, or through your phone. <laughs> um, and then we also have um, the Kinship, which is a creative community that we launched a couple months ago 
And that's really, you know, when I think about storytelling, I think about storytelling in many different ways, right? There's the archival piece. There's the, okay, we're documenting history today. Like we're living history. We're documenting that for ourselves, for the next generation. But there's also something about telling stories that and, and using that creative muscle that is liberatory, right? It's like getting some, your experience out. You're no longer carrying it. You're allowing other people to see and to, to learn and to heal from it. And it's also, when we think about being creative in art, you know, that's an imagining a new future. And that's like a lot of conversations people are having now, um, especially after last summer and yeah. all the uprising. You know, people are thinking of like, what does liberation look like? What am I really fighting for? How do I imagine a new future, a new yeah. kind of society? And that's a muscle that we have to practice. Like you have to, using your imagination is something that you have to practice how to do. You have yeah. to constantly do it because it's not, the world does not want us to do that. Yeah. Society doesn't want us to. So the kinship is really a place for people who have a creative lean. Maybe they used to be an artist when they were a kid or they did creative things when they were a kid, but you know, life became life and they haven't made time for the, those passions and that creative outlet they used to but so now they're ready to do that again they're looking for you know some inspiration looking for some nurturing they might have imposter syndrome they want you know some a little bit of like skill development you know and just like a space to kind of get practicing whether it's writing or painting or doing poetry taking pictures right. um whatever it is so that's what the kinship is so that's really like what you have me at black does we're just a space for people to tell stories in many different ways, shapes, and forms. That's what kind of a hub for storytelling. I love it. So listeners, one of the things that's, that's unique about what we're doing today is it's really easy to hear what she's telling you, right? It's easy to hear that I'm a fan and have been for years, but I want to make it super easy. So what we're going to do is at the end of this episode, we'll drop in a clip from the podcast. So you don't have to mm -hmm. go anywhere to get the first experience. You can get a taste here and then mm -hmm. go over, subscribe, and listen all the time. They're good. They're really good, right? You'll, you'll find Thank the you. ones that speak to you. I want to dig a little bit more, right? What is it about storytelling for you? Why did you decide mm -hmm. that this was the lane that, that you wanted to play in? Oh, wow. I mean, I've always been obsessed with stories and people's stories. And also, like, sharing information. They've, to me, they've always kind of gone hand in hand. But I was the kid that would want to hear from my grandparents, like everything about their lives. My parents telling me like, you know, some kids when their parents are telling them about back in the day, they don't want to listen. I wanted to listen. Right. <laughs> I loved that. Like I wouldn't want to go out and play. I wanted to just like hear what people had to say. I loved, um, I lo I've always like loved memoirs and like autobiographies and, and documentaries about people's lives. It's just like, who I was from a young, as a young kid. Right. Um, and I'm also someone that like, whatever I learn or know, I want everybody else around me to learn and know too. Like if I learn, if I have a yeah. new insight, I'm like, everyone needs to know this thing. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that it, it kind of, yeah, it kind of goes hand in hand. And when we started, you had me out black. It was in 2016. Um, very, it's climate very similar to the one that we're in now, right? Like right. we just got the Trayvon Martin verdict. We were just hearing about Philando Castile and Michael Brown and Alton Sterling and Sandra Bland and all these different names and folks who had been murdered by the police. And just seeing the way that people who reminded me of me, reminded me of my cousins, reminded me of my friends, were villainized. And the, the impact that that has 
on me, on, on ourselves. You know what I mean? Like realizing like as an adult, yo, the media is really trying to tell our stories for us. Like they're trying to feed to us that we are not worthy, right. that one mishap, one wrongdoing means that we should die. Right. And that, and we deserve that death. And so, you know, it got me thinking, like, what would it take for us to have ownership over a narrative? And I was like, I can't go after NBC and ABC. You know, who am I? I, I don't have those resources to tackle that. But I was like, you know, the stories that I want to hear are just from regular people. Like, I don't want sensationalism. I don't want trauma porn. I don't want stereotypes. I want to be able to hold all the complexities of who we are, our innocence, our joy, our anger, even when we do fuck up, you know, just that grace that we extend. I wanted to hold making space for all of that. And so I felt, you know, they always say storytelling is the best way for people to connect. (laughs) And so it just kind of felt natural. And I wanted a place for us to be like, this is who we are really for ourselves, not, not for like mainstream audiences, not for white folks, for sure. But really for ourselves, because I felt like, you know, it's so demoralizing for us to see these these negative stories being told about us. And there's nothing else to counterbalance that. You know, when you when you first find the podcast, you can't help but be struck by the name. Where where did that come from? (laughs) So funny. I had a friend I was getting lunch with her and we were both like working at our jobs, not very happy. And um, she was like, girl, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I just know I want whatever I do. I want it to help black people. And she goes, you had me at black. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, we're going to do something with that. So um, we, you know, set out to like think of a different, we were thinking about different projects. We were, you know, trying to, was it going to be a video series? Is it going to be a book? Whatever, whatever. And it, we ended up not, uh, we kind of ended up like, putting it, you know, putting it on ice. And she had told me, like, you can do whatever you want with it because she was having a child and, like, you know, uh, needed to tend her family. Um, but that's where the name had always stuck with me. So three, four years after that conversation and us wow. trying to, like, start a project, the podcast idea kind of came to me. Um, I was recording my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. And we, I was just talking to him about like, what it's like growing up in South Africa. He moved there when, after apartheid ended. And I, and he was just saying things. I was like, oh, you sound so smart. I'm just going to record you on my phone <laughs> as we're walking. I was like, we should just capture this for something. And that's when I was like, ooh, a podcast. And that's how the podcast was born. Do you still have that recording? You know, I, I do not know. I, would, I have to go look. I actually don't know. I've never went back and listened to it. Seems like something you need to build around. Just, you know. Yeah, it out that was there. five years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I need to. I'm going to go look. <laughs> I hope I do now that you, you say that. That would be cute to revisit that. It would. It yeah. would. So the podcast, the kickback, the kinship, they're, they're all centered around stories. Mm-hmm. And so much like a good barber, here's a bunch of stories. I know mm-hmm. you hear a ton of them. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've, we've kind of talked about the inception of this idea. Mm-hmm. And, and now I want to talk about like the application of it. Mm. So of the probably hundreds of stories that you've heard at this point, which is the one that has the most impact on you personally? Mm, wow. What does the one who has, you know... Sometimes it's not even the story. Mm-hmm. It's the person and watching the process of them coming to us with a story or what they think is the story and working with them to develop the story for the show. Right. 
So what we, our coaching experience is like, you know, we do kind of do it in cohorts now. So it's like three to five people and we meet once a week and each week we're like further developing. And so for our last kickback, we uh, had a group of three, of three women and femmes. Um, And that group in particular, just like their vulnerability with each other and with me and like trusting the process and not being afraid to like think further and kind of go deeper and really bring us into their world. And it very like tough subjects. Like one story was about really surviving like the sexual assault in a shopping mall. And then her, her, their, 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 um, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Their journey to like learning to protect themselves, like learning how to shoot a gun and getting a firearm and just what that protection meant for them and really kind of for the first time feeling like they're owning their self-protection. And then there was another story about a person who um, was handicapped at birth just because a doctor, you know, messed up. And when she was coming out of her mother's womb and paralyzed her arm for her life. Mm. And as a result of that, she got a huge settlement that she didn't know she had until she was 18. Like on her 18th birthday, her mom was like, here's $250,000. I don't want to give the story away. Right. But here's a bunch of money. Here's a bu- it, it actually not on the podcast yet. Like we're still in our vault. So I'm really like giving it away. But here's a ton of money. And this is a person who, because of her upbringing, like, you know, was shy, didn't have many friends. And so was starting to use money as a way to make friends. Right. Mm-hmm. Like now I have all this money. I'm 18. So I'm going to start using money to buy friends and, and her journey to overcome that. And you know, I think their stories were incredible, but like what sticks out to me is just, I just love the, the transformation that people go through. And I'm always so honored when people trust me and they like really open up in these sessions and they're like, we can work on these stories together and it's so collaborative. So that just stands out, but those two folks really stand out to me because of just how, what they brought to this right. process and how they supported one another through the storytelling. So I just learned something, right? Mm. And Maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe maybe I have this wrong. But if, if I'm hearing you right, the the kickbacks are with people who you've already begun working with and formed a, mm-hmm. a relationship with to help them become storytellers. Is is that right? Yeah, the podcast and the kickback, like, the process is the same. So like, we'll take a story and we'll be like, some some stories will be like, this is great for the kickback setting because. You know, we're tr- you know maybe the vibe that we're trying to create for the kickback and the story, you know, fits the vibe. And then some, it's like we're just going to put them directly onto the podcast. But every story, whether it's told on the podcast, like in the kickback, also gets later aired on the podcast. So it's kind of mm-hmm. yeah, we just we just kind of like vet stories. Like, is this a kickback story or a podcast story? And then we sort them accordingly. <laughs> well, the, the reason it's interesting to me is because I've, I've listened to the kickbacks that you have played in the podcast, right? Yes. And I've always wondered to myself, wow, in a room full of people, how did they identify the ones who could tell this story so well? Oh, everyone's pre-coached, like pre-practiced. They <laughs> <laughs> <I> vetted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not a big open mic person. You know, you can get some amazing talent at an open mic, but you but can you also can get also some things get that some are way less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people who are just, you, know, you don't know what they're talking about. So 
We didn't <laughs> want it to be an open mic. We wanted it to be a, it's a curated experience. The stories are vetted and, and prepared based on the theme, based on the experience that we want. Yeah. So right now we're really doing things based off of seasons. So our fall kickback at the end of last year was all about, you know, it was a stressful last year. So mm. it's all about winding down, like kicking back. Like this is our time just to relax. Like we've been on high alerts, right? High anxiety all year. This was, it was all, so that all the stories were just about black people winning. It was like, we wanted to hear easy stories about good things happening to black people after a year of all bad things happening to black people. Our last kickback in March was all about new beginnings, right? Spring is a time for transformation. Everyone's like excited. It's getting warm again. We're starting to see the almost the end of this, or maybe not the end, but we're starting to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to the pandemic. Right. And um, so all those stories were about um, you know, a, a, a new beginning in people's lives. And it was about um, kind of blooming, right? Like this idea of like blackness is blooming. That was the theme. Oh, and then that. our, yeah, and we have our next kickback in June, on June 20th, which is Juneteenth weekend, also Father's Day. Um, and all the stories would be about escape or breaking free. Because when we think about summertime, like summer is a time of abundance, right? We think about going back to just like nature. It is time of abundance, the time of release. And so we wanted stories about escape and breaking free. So all the stories for that kickback will be about that. So, um, we, you know, we, we try to curate an experience. The music and the vibe of the music is the playlists and the DJs all are, you know, we're all like curating this thing around what the vibe for the show is. Right. So we couldn't open it up to just, I thought we couldn't just open it up and make it an open mic. <laughs> we had to like... Everything is intentional, like Solange yeah. says. Do everything with attention. That's what we're doing over here. I feel that. So your 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 current season has been going since what roughly February, right? Yes, the first week of February. So if people who are just becoming exposed to you had me at black, if they decide to go into this current season, what what can they mm-hmm. expect? They can expect so this season is all about unraveling. Right. It's like we've reflecting on the last year and how so many things unraveled for people and society and what are the implications of something unraveling? What are the opportunities of something unraveling? So you can expect a whole bunch of stories about the moments when, you know, people were faced with like things just being laid bare for them. Right. Right. And that could be and, and what in the journeys that they had to go through to either piece things back together or what insights were revealed to them where they can finally see something clearly for the first time and like take control of their situation. Each story I, I feel like is like so triumphant, but they're all really different. You know, a lot of, some have to deal with mental health. Some had to deal with physical health. Some had to deal with, you know, tending to family and breaking generational bonds and trauma and things like that. But they're each beautiful and triumphant in their own way. That is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I, I just had to just stop and think about it for a moment. <laughs> so uh, the obvious question, at least to me, right, but my brain mm-hmm. doesn't always work right, is how do people get involved? We have a story call on our website. You had me at black.com slash tell a story. And that's where we kind of accept like rolling story submission. But... Every couple of months, we're putting out like a new call on our social. So you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at You Have Me at Black. Right. Um, if you sign up for our email list, we send out that call. And we just do a lot of outreach too to different like partners and people that you know we we know and 
organization that we connect with. Um, and then we are able to select the ones that we think fit for whatever we're working on, whether to kick back, whether it's just the podcast. Gotcha. Earlier, you, you mentioned intention and doing things with intentionality. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to ask this, questions, uh, this question of creatives because it's a question I ask of myself often, right? Mm-hmm. When you started, you had me at black. You had a goal in mind, right? You wanted mm-hmm. to do something for someone. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I'm sure you kept the goal relatively stable, but it probably moved a little bit, right? Well, we can tweak mm-hmm. and do this. We can tweak and do this because authentically we're moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. But the thing that always haunts me about Wild Black or, or anything that I'm doing creatively is even with the best of intention and the most strategic plans that I can come up with, there's mm-hmm. ultimately something that I fail in, right? And, mm-hmm. and whether it's I fail because I didn't try, whether it's I mm-hmm. fail because I can't figure out how to do it, whether I fail because I tried and it just fell flat, there is something that my creative element can't mm-hmm. achieve, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've talked today about the importance of stories, about mm-hmm. capturing, controlling, owning, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about how they empower. We've, we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about how they, or the lack of stories, can create agony. Mm-hmm. But when you look at You Have Me at Black, what is it not doing that your heart wants it to do? Oof, we're not telling <laughs> enough stories. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I want, you know, I want You Have Me a Black to be capturing stories from, like, everywhere and anywhere Black people live and exist. I'm just so fascinated by the lives that we live and all the things that we do, all the things that we create. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think for me right now, what I'm, I'm always kind of, thinking like a few years ahead, like a few years ago, I was really like, you know what, you know, the stories that I feel like we're not really centering and capturing are stories of the LGBTQ and like the queer community. Right. But I feel like we've, you know, really made some great relationships with people and, and have been able to like really just expand what the idea of blackness is in that capacity on our show, just with the stories that we've been telling right. for the, you know, for a while now. So I'm really proud of that. But then now I'm thinking also like geographically. So we get a lot of stories from people like in cities and black rural life is very different than black city life or even black suburban life. Right. And so that's something I'm just kind of as top of mind, I think because of other projects I'm working on too. But I'm like, you know, I, I don't really have access like that to rural places. <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. My family's all right here or in Atlanta, you know, and so at least a family that I'm closer to. And so that's something that I'm thinking about. But I just, I really, I don't know if it's failing, but it is an opportunity. You know, like how can we be more accessible? How can we increase our capacity to accept more stories from more people, to to connect with more people, help them tell their story, to expand the platform so there are different ways that people can tell stories. Like not everyone can listen to a podcast or speak on a podcast. How can we be more accessible to the different ways in which people tell their stories? And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I look forward to is like, how do we expand so that we're capturing more and sh- most importantly, sharing more? That makes sense. All right. So again, stories and their impact. As mm-hmm. we near the end of the episode, I, I always like to hand the mic over to our guest to close out. We're not quite mm-hmm. there yet, right? I want to fit mm-hmm. one more question in there. But it's, okay. it's about the microphone and it's about the story. You spend yeah. a lot of time helping people 
tell their stories. Yeah. And then sharing those stories with the world. Yes. And so while people hear you on You Had Me at Black, they only hear your voice from the aspect of the host primarily, right? <laughs> yeah. So this time we turn the mic around on you. And, and we say with this megaphone of Wild Black speaking to all of our audience and all of our listeners, what is it that you want to tell them? Like what's, what's on your heart mm. to share with the entire black delegation, right? Your megaphone can reach every black person in existence. What are you telling them? What's your story? What I want, I've always wanted to tell people that your story matters. I think that's something that we don't hear enough, right? And that's something a lot of people, they get shy. They're like, oh, you know, it's not that important. And I'm like, the most, like the littlest things we do are important. There's, there's, I feel like there's beauty in like the smallest parts of our lives. Right. And some of my favorite stories are the stories that are like literally about like somebody's just their best day ever, right? Or just right. like a regular Saturday where they're just like going through the motions and something spectacular and memorable happens. But I I think I want what I want to say to people is like, your story is important. Your story is enough, right? Like whatever you want to do in life, whatever you want to achieve or accomplish, like everything that you have been through or done has prepared you for that. Like you are equipped with whatever you need for the next step. And that includes your story. Um, and so I encourage people to find that voice, to hone that voice, to express that voice, right. and to not shy away from the from whatever may come from doing that. You know, it just like, just get it out. Just, yeah. just start. Get it so, out. I like that. Get it out. Get it out. Got to get, it, get out. it out however you can. Cool. So... I'm going to to wrap us up here. Uh, what I want to make sure that all of our listeners have is enough time inside the episode to actually be exposed to You Had Me at Black. I want them to mm -hmm. actually hear the episode. So, Martina, this has been great. This has Thank been you. really, really good. It's something I've been looking forward to for a while. And what I'd love for you to do in closing is make sure that all of our listeners know how to find you, know how to keep up with you, and know how to support what it is that you're doing. Thank you so much. So you can listen to You Had Me at Black wherever you're listening to this episode right now. We're there. You can uh, visit our website to join our email list, youhadmeatblack.com, and there you'll find more about kickbacks and the kinship. And you can follow us on social. We're on Instagram and Twitter at You Had Me at Black. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. <laughs> Art, brother, man, you got anything, man? Stories. Right. It's so important to tell. We got to, and, and this is a beautiful way to, to get stories out. And I, I think the realization of stories and how they affect and impact people that look like you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, is so deeply important. So that work that you all are doing is, is beautiful. Thank Martina, you, you want to close with anything? I'm just so ha I'm happy we made this happen. I, I'm so grateful. I love the work that y'all do and the conversations that you have. So like Thank the you. phrases that you gave at the beginning of the episode, I just want to reciprocate right back to the two of you. And um, I'm just grateful to be here and grateful to build with you. You know, I think Amen. it's amazing when Black creators are able to work together and come together and, and to, to do good work. So Because Black people can do anything. I'm convinced. Absolutely. 
right, yes, well. we can and we do do anything. All right, well, Wild Black, I want you to listen up. The episode is coming up right now. Check it out. Go follow them. Go interact. Go subscribe. And most importantly, man, go go have a great day. Wild Black Peace, we out. We love you. We out. You know, when you talk about escaping, I often have a lot of stories to share. But one of my favorite stories to share is summer year before my sophomore year of high school. My days were simple. I was an inner city kid, so I had my little routine. Some things that I was excited about. Like, I, I, I played basketball all the time. Like, I was going to get drafted or something. I would spend time in my room, tinkering around with electronics. I used to like to take things apart, see how they worked. Um, listening to hip-hop or doing other hip-hop-related things. As you know, the elements of hip-hop, dancing, beatboxing, writing. Probably one of my favorite pastimes was playing Nintendo, particularly Double Dribble. Double Dribble was the jam. It was a basketball game. But that was this other pastime that I really enjoyed, and that was just hanging out on the block. Because I wasn't a blockhead. Clearly, I'm like taking apart electronics and whatnot. But I knew my way around the block. I knew who to laugh with, who to joke with who to stay away from. Plus, I had a constant in with uh, my two older brothers who were up there, uh, Sean and Bobo, who were blockheads. Like, they made money on the block. They didn't really like me being up there because they, for some reason, thought they was my babysitter. And, and I couldn't take care of myself, but I was smarter than them, so I did whatever I wanted. <laughs> um, school was approaching, and, you know, I hadn't done any shopping yet. And y'all know how it go. You got to be fresh on your first day of school. And I didn't have any clothes because my mom's paycheck hadn't quite aligned with the shopping. And y'all know how they go too. You know, you got to budget yourself. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And one night during a ranking session up on the block, I might have let it be known that I ain't got no new school clothes. And uh, the big homie, L.A., who was like the coach on the block, he was like the Fat Albert character. He always had a baseball cap on, like he was a coach or something. So I think of him like that. He's like, yo, you can't go your start, start your sophomore year in freshman clothes. That's like you got left back. You know, you might as well stay up here and sell crack with us. <laughs> I was like, nah, that's not how it worked, man. But I was, I was embarrassed that he, you know, that he did that. And that he said that because he was right. I can't start my year like that. I avoided going back on the block because I was, I was so ashamed for a little while. But about three days later, I had to go to the store for some bread. And mind you, I had to cross the, the trap house just to get to the, the the mini market. The mini market was called Kasi. The trap house was on the south east side of the block. And Kasi was on the north west side of the block. So I had to go by there and I was a little nervous going by, but you know, when I, when I walked by, it was, 
it was pretty quiet. You know, no, nobody really up there and whatnot. So I went in and got my bread. And when I came out, my boy Roy Lee was at the payphone. I walked by and I dap him up. We share some small talk or whatever. And he hang up the phone and he looks at me and say, yo, you want to get some? And, and before I could voice, you know, the, <laughs> the confusion on my face, he's like, yo, I'll hook it up for you. I'll pay for it and everything. Now, that's not every day you get a, uh, a offer like this, you know, like when you're 15 years old. So, of course, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And she shows up and Raleigh talks to her and he makes the deal. Then she escorts me back over, you know, to the utility house. Utility house is like right across the street from the trap house. And we go over there. We we walk in right past the OG Mookie who was sitting on the porch. He didn't say anything, but we got inside and, you know, she begins to perform. And uh, this, this woman had like, like no spirit left in her. And it was, I immediately felt discomfort. You know, I just felt like it was just wrong. There was something wrong about it, like the, the look in her eyes. And I asked her to stop and she asked me if I wasn't, you know, did I not like it or, and she said, calm down, you'll be all right. And, but she couldn't coach me through that, like, or whatever. And, and it, it felt bad. So I, I just, I panicked. I zipped my pants up, grabbed my bread and walked out and walked right past Mookie. And I could hear him go like, that's it. And he starts laughing. And just as he started laughing, I knew, I knew at that moment that he was going to try to clown me and he was going to try to, you know, so I tried to stay away from the block for the rest of the day. And I was sitting at home just, just thinking about that moment and first of all I just thought that it was the worst moment to to, to have my first you know activity <laughs> but then I, I just kept playing back how how bad I felt um, it, 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 it was just a sad thing but but us being who we were I knew jokes were coming you know because they don't know how I was feeling and then I don't know how to share those feelings with other black boys, young black men. You know, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. But, you know, I was getting bored in the house. It, it was, it, I was bored. <laughs> and sundown came around and, and uh, I needed some excitement. So I went back up to the block. <laughs> and uh, just as I suspected, you know, Mookie had circulated you know, the story about me to everybody. And, but I ain't really sweat it. I ain't really sweat it because, you know, everybody, every time somebody started trying to rank, you know, I, I had comebacks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like they, they left me alone fast. <laughs> but uh, L.A. was up there. I remember what L.A. said about starting a new year with old clothes. And I finally got enough nerve to ask him how to get into the business. And he said it would be easy. Like, he assured me that it, it would be really easy, man. Uh, he gave me, like, this $100 pack. And he said, sell this. You keep 25 Bring the other 75 to me. And I'll give you another one. And I'm like, cool. That's no problem. So now I'm officially 
a blockhead. And when I tell you that I was nervous with every transaction, you know, that is an understatement because I knew the stories and I knew a lot about what had been going on up there. You know, I've seen people literally get snagged by cops. So I knew this stuff going on. And so, yeah, I was I was dumb nervous, but I continued on doing my my daily schedule stuff and selling, you know, selling crack in between. <laughs> um, and then, you know, uh, school year had just started. And. I had missed like the first two days and on the third day, you know, Raleigh had acquired a uh, a rental car <laughs> and I ain't talking to Enterprise. <laughs> and, and uh, but it but but it was this black Ford Escort two door you know hatchback, you know I I considered that car like our chariot of freedom you know because we were able to just roll and, and and we was in the streets we was hitting everything man like we we hit the mall we went to go see girls we went to go see other trappers uh, we went to this like this this club this is an eighteen and under club and so so we was just rolling me Raleigh. And my eldest brother, Sean. Now, we were on our way back from the club. And, and Sean was like, Sean had a knack for being able to spot the cops. Like, he had an incredible eye. And, 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 and Raleigh's like, yo, I'm going to get something to eat. And just after he says that, Sean says, rollers, which is what we call the cops. And... They were coming opposite direction. And as they passed us, Sean Dingo, they gonna turn around. I look over my shoulder, and sure enough, they turning around. They hit the lights, and Raleigh hit the accelerator <laughs> and hit the first right that he could find, which is about a maybe a block and a half away from the trap. And I remember throwing my package out, because I was scared. I was like, uh, I, I can't get caught with this. And then right in the middle of the block, he slams the brake, puts the car in park, hops out the car. Sean hops out the other side. And neither of them bothered to pull the lever to let me out of the back seat. <laughs> but, but I was small enough that I just hopped through the front, hopped out the car on Raleigh's side, and, and followed them through some backyards. We hopped a couple of fences. Then we went through a, a hole in another fence. Then we crossed the main street, jumped the fence to the trap house. And Raleigh did like one of these acrobatic kind of jumps over the fence. You know, like, you know, because we were showing off his athleticism and whatnot. And then like they both hit the ground. We escaped. escaped, escaped, escaped. They was laughing hysterically like maniacs or something like what the hell y'all laughing at, bro? Like I'm like I was nervous. I was drenched in sweat. <laughs> I was, I'm sitting there. I'm nervous. Like, what are y'all laughing at? Um, I, like cause I'm thinking they had just passed this law that 15 year olds could get charged as adults, and you know on dope cases. And I had just turned 15, so I'm scared. But them laughing somehow calm me down but in that moment I knew what I had to do I knew what I had to do I had to take my ass to school so the next morning I went to the mall <laughs> I went to the mall to get me some some school clothes and the next day 
got to school a little bit late. And right around third period is when I arrived. And third period was biology class. And my friend Jeff was sitting in there. I went to grab a seat next to him. And he looks at me and goes, man, the first week of school almost over. Where you been? That's like, <laughs> you don't even want to know, Jeff. <laughs> you don't even want to know. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.